Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, now a sports columnist at the Oklahoman, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Michael. That is still very, very, very strange uh, to hear, but... Um... Yeah, moving forward, I'm I'm not going to just be on the Thunderbeat. Going to be doing a little bit of everything as columnist uh, today. For example, you can read a story at Oklahoma.com. Uh, talk to Barry Switzer and some other folks because today, Friday, September fifteenth, is the fifty-year anniversary of Barry Switzer's first game as head coach at OU. That is a story I would not have done in my previous life as Thunderbeat writer, but. Um, Things are definitely changing, um, but I'm still going to be doing a lot of Thunder content, still going to be doing a lot of Thunder pods, and here I am doing Thunder Buddies right now. Do you feel like a new man? you feel like um, a new person here? I feel like a more, more like scatterbrained man. I, I feel like a man with, you know, that's even less confident than I was going forward. Like, oh, what exactly am I supposed to be doing? Um, no, I think I have a pretty good grasp of it. But yeah, things are, um, as everyone has seen, things are a little uh, different at the Oklahoman these days. But we're we're trying to make the best of it. And um, to be honest, I'm I'm very very excited, not only about my new role, but about um, some folks we've been able to bring in and um, just how we've sort of you know, kept kept grinding and kept telling good stories. So um, I appreciate all you guys for still following along. Very exciting. I'm glad the success hasn't gotten to your head. I asked you if I should refer to you as Mr. Calmness. You said that would not be necessary, but <laughs> uh, that would not be necessary. Maybe maybe offline I, m- I might require you to do that, but at least not on the pod. Have you seen the movie? What about Bob? I don't think I've seen what okay, about Bob. There, it's a great movie, but there's a scene in it where it's um Bill Murray and his doctor, um, and he's talking to me. He goes, uh, "Yeah, in my home you uh, call me uh, doctor, in my office <laughs> you can call me Leo." He's like, well, yeah. "What? We, we could have a similar setup here." <laughs> yeah, I will see you at, at the games. It's like, don't don't make eye contact with me. It's Mister Calmness, <laughs> please. Yeah, just oh uh, no, announce when I'm in a room, but. Anyways, congrats to Joe on that. You'll have more information on that and more great stories. We did get some new news, and that is an update on the arena. Um, what did you hear about that? Yeah, so that all came out on Tuesday. Um, great job on on the solo pod, by the way. But yeah, that, that was coming down uh, Tuesday evening. Um, you know, obviously, we had outlined this before. Mayor Holt, in his State of the City address said this was going to be happening and that they were going to have a plan in place. And uh, his office released a press release on Tuesday as far as like uh, actual details involving this project. The Thunder, um, if a vote passes by Oklahoma City residents on December 12th, uh, will be playing in a new home um, 
at the start of the 2029-2030 season at the latest. Uh, we have a price tag for this thing. It's a minimum of $900 million, so uh, creeping very close to uh, the $1 billion range, which is crazy to think about. Um, and we uh, we have how much the Thunder is going to contribute, and that's $50 million, um, which is about 5.5% of the cost if it is the minimum of $900 million. So a um, lot to unpack there, Michael. Where Where should we start? Um, I mean, the nice thing is that uh, it looks like this new arena is going to happen. I know that there's going to be a vote. I guess that's where we can start from and then maybe move backwards through the money of overall and then the Thunder side. Yeah, I so, yeah, the vote's going to be December 12th. Um, this is something that only Oklahoma City residents are going to be voting on. Um, but it's something that anyone who is, you know, shopping or buying anything in Oklahoma City is going to contribute to as far as the penny sales tax goes. Um, I'm not an economist, but I will try my best to to lay this out. Right now, uh, under the maps for penny sales tax, um, this would be a new tax, but it would basically replace the tax that we're already paying. So um, taxes would not go up. You would not feel a change because it would basically be an extension of the tax that is already in place, although a new separate tax no longer going to a MAPS project, but going toward the new arena. Um, so that's the best selling point um, for, from the city's perspective. Um, my initial thoughts on this is that it's going to pass, and I think it's going to pass quite comfortably. I know there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say a lot of detractors. There's a lot more people, I think, in, in in support of this, hence me thinking it's going to pass. Um, but, you know, it is going to be a debate moving forward. People are going to talk about, you know, why is the Thunder not putting up more money? Uh, I looked at a few recent examples, Sacramento, Milwaukee, Detroit, as far as like similar market arenas um, that have been built in the last 10 years or so. And, you know, all of those, the ownership groups contributed significantly more than than what the thunder is going to contribute um but again different market sizes i don't know uh how, how deep all these owners pockets are compared um to each other but but that is something to that's something that's going to cause some some debate i don't really want to get into it of whether they should or not um but you know if anyone who's upset that thunder is is not contributing more to this arena uh, I will not argue with them at all on that point. Yeah, I can understand that side. Yeah, we're not really going to get into it. The Thunder and the state of Oklahoma doesn't, well, the state really doesn't have like a lot of leverage to tell them spend this amount of money or this or that. So I know we've talked about this before as two guys who grew up in Oklahoma of Bricktown and Oklahoma City before the Thunder and just how much has exploded since then. And even if you're not a Thunder fan, if you like how much the city has expanded and grown, you should definitely vote for this. Yeah, I think that's ultimately the case. I mean, I I understand that a lot of people look at arenas. At, if you kind of isolate that, it's like, does that really do anything for the community? You know, using taxpayer money to fund an arena. I think 
it's about the broader picture of everything that comes with having an NBA team in Oklahoma City, the jobs that brings, the money that brings, the tourism, everything, the you know, Scissor Tail Park that's popped up right around the arena, the Omni Hotel. Um, all of this happens as a result of, you know, the in in part because the Thunder is here. Um, and there's, you know, kind of like a status thing of being a big league city. So to keep that status, you have to build a new arena because like Mayor Holt said, there's cities lining up that could build bigger and better arenas and uh, try to attract a, a team like the Thunder if there's an arena dispute. Look no further than what happened in Seattle and, and the team moving here. So um, that's kind of why all of this matters. Um, it, it's a very kind of tricky conversation, but um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where it's at right now. Yeah, and the arena will lead to some new things. Like if you're um, someone who was, I know Joe, Joe, you're not a big music guy. We established that in one of the not earliest, a big music guy. I said that early on, early pods. But if you're somebody who wanted the Taylor Swift eras tour or Drake's tour, there was never a chance they were going to come to Oklahoma City. Probably mainly because of the arena. If they have like a really nice arena, at least you have yourself in the conversation for things like that. And like you mentioned with the tax it just kind of extends. It doesn't double anything. It doesn't increase. So it doesn't really change anything for people other than just in name that the ta- uh, the tax is going to change, I guess. So definitely um, talk to all your friends who are on the fence, who aren't Thunder fans and try to get them to get through this. Um, I will plug Down and Dunk with Andrew Schlecht, his pod where he did with Mayor Holt. It was really informative if you are on the fence or have friends who are, where they answer basically all of these questions that you might have about the arena and why it needs to happen. Yeah, that was a very good podcast. Um, Again, I don't want to tell anyone how to vote. I am not a resident of Oklahoma City, so I shan't be voting on this myself. Um, Again, I think it's going to pass. I, I think that you know, could Thunder ownership contribute more? I, I think they could. And I think that might, um, I, I think there's definitely room there. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. But at the same time, Thunder ownership knows how favorable I think this is going to go. And they know that, you know, Oklahoma City residents have a history of, voting um f- for these tax hikes i mean to to approve to make the city better through maps projects you know building new things all over the city so there's an appetite for that here and i think they know that i think mayor holt knows that and um because of that i, I think it's going to pass i i said this to somebody else i think if the thunder contributed zero dollars i still think it would pass um so the money they're giving, I mean, I don't want to say it's inconsequential. It's very much consequential, but I do think it's inconsequential to how the vote is going to go. Maybe I'm going to be way wrong on this and it's going to fail. I just don't see that happening. Um, but we are about uh, three months away from from seeing how this goes. And this is moving very, very fast. I mean, um, we're voting on this later this year and uh you know, could be circling the 2029, 2030 season, perhaps the season before that, depending on how this thing goes. 
this probably isn't the best qualifier, but uh, you can correct me if I sound dumb with this here. Um, but with the Thunder investing in the new arena, one thing that I think you can look to is that even with the new CBA and the new salary cap and the new second apron and things, they can still spend money on that whenever the team gets really good and is competing. But the fans and community can't contribute to that, whereas the fans and community can contribute through the tax and things to this new arena. So maybe it's half and half sort of thing or just I, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to go. Well, no, I think I think that's a fantastic point. Um, you know, I, I did a story during the offseason about explaining why the Thunder operated the way they did. Um in free agency and through the trades they made and and the overarching theme was they're trying to save enough save up as much money as they can um to build a sustainable team of this core that's going to be quite expensive i mean Shea's already on a max contract and if everything breaks right you're looking at huge paydays for jalen williams jet holmgren josh giddy um so you know there there is a future where this team might have to creep back into the tax uh, we know the history there. Listen, Thunder ownership like can't commit to to oh we're we're for sure going to pay the tax or whatever it takes for this team to win. Um, but I I think if they sent some sort of message like that, like it would it would be a very good PR move and it would be very well received. That okay, we're we're helping you out with this new arena, but when it's time to win, you guys are going to go all in on this. Uh, again, the, the numbers, no one can even anticipate what they're going to be. So it's not like you can really commit to that. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a very good point. The Thunder aren't the only ones working on a new arena. I don't know if you saw this, but Steve Ballmer was on Paul George's podcast and mentioned that they that the Clippers are going to have a new arena with an acre long video board and every single seat would have a USB port to charge your phone with on top of uh, the countless uh, toilets and bathrooms in the arena. It could be fun. It could be functional. Is there anything personally you want in this new arena? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Uh, anything personal I want. You know, I'm a man of very few needs. And I need a place to write. I, I need a um, place to plug in my laptop. And, and that's about it. And the current arena is functional enough for me um but yeah i'm trying to think from like a fan experience what could be better i mean the thing the thunder arena lacks the most is the video board and now they have a gigantic video board uh that's in the new arena that had already passed by the way so if you're thinking well why'd they just buy that if they're already going to move out well that was already done um yeah i don't know Everyone loves more bathrooms. No one likes to stand in the line at a bathroom. Just have have the whole have the whole concourse just you know, just wall to wall full of bathrooms. I'm sure that would be that'd be great in Balmer land. <laughs> no restaurants, just bathrooms. Just bathroom. No concessions. <laughs> there there's no signs on where the bathrooms are because there's they're, just bathrooms in front surrounding of you. Yeah. You. yeah. I'd, let's get some Chick-fil-A in there around the, the concourse would be great. Um, I just thought about this, but um, if the Thunder you know, with this new arena, if it's sponsored by Loves, it could be the Love Shack. Love Shack. Um, yeah, I don't know how the naming rights deal is going to transfer over. Uh, that's something 
I should look into, but um, I would assume Paycom, I think they signed a 15-year lease, so I, I assume it's going to be transferred over, but hey, one never knows. We'll see. Well, I just hope they don't have something like the Jacksonville Jaguars have with like a, a hot tub in the stands or anything like that. I, I don't think the Thunder would ever go in that direction. I think they're going to be on the more safer end, but I'm very excited for this new arena. I know that they use the word like spectacle and something that fans can be proud of and Oklahomans can be proud of. So it should be interesting. Yeah, maybe it'll be shaped like a cowboy hat or something really ev- evoke the uh, the culture here in Oklahoma. Just the state. Just the arena shaped just like the state. Yeah, it's going to be a very like long, skinny part. Maybe that's where all the bathrooms can be. Yes. In the panhandle. <laughs> that's where everybody enters down a <laughs> giant long tunnel. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I mentioned on the solo pod, but just talking about FIBA and Shea's experience. But I wanted to get your final thoughts about just how Shea played now that we have a full sample size, the most impressive parts of his run and anything else you want to get into. Yeah. You know, Shea was fantastic, ending in a bronze medal victory for the Canadians, which was a really big deal um, for Canadian basketball. And going into the tournament, Shea was kind of the talk of the tournament because, you know, Bontemps had the whole Luca versus Shea thing. We talked about that. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people come away from the tournament and would still say that, like, Luca's the better player, but, like, Shea was the best player in the tournament. I have his averages in front of me. Uh, 24.4 points per game. He shot 54% from the field, including 63% from inside the arc, only 30% from outside the arc. Um, got to the free throw line nine times per game, shot 89% at the free throw line and had 6.4 rebounds, 6.4 assists against only 1.4 turnovers per game. And if you add up his steals and blocks stocks, he averaged two per game. So it was, I, I mean, stat filled, yes, but it also contributed to to winning and he was phenomenal. Yeah, he just controlled the pace of every single game. It just felt like watching like a really experienced quarterback just walk his team up and down the field and control everything. Shea just had his hands all all over this game and really just influenced the outcome of it. And you could tell just how different team Canada was with him on and off the floor, uh, just the way that they um, operated offensively, especially, but very, very impressive from Shea. You know, Shea's year last year was so good and and such a breakout season, although he had been, you know, very, very good before that has kind of added more to his game each year. But because last year was such a step, I think myself and and maybe others feel the same way. It's like, okay, this is like peak Shea. This is this is if he could repeat this, I mean, that almost seems like it would be asking too much, but you know, maybe maybe he can keep this up. Maybe there's another level. Like I I mean, he what what he did in this tournament, how how much he does in the offseason and you know, he comes back and seemingly surprises us every year with with something new um you know last year he was one of the five best players in the nba maybe he's going to be at the point where like we're not even asking each other is he a top five player in the nba maybe he could submit himself as that and that's uh obviously uh quite a stacked list but i'm kind of i'm kind of through 
uh, underestimating what Shay might become. I'm with you. I'm, I'll raise my hand and say that I doubted Shay early whenever he was traded to the Thunder. Not that I didn't think it would be any good, but just I saw him more as like a tertiary star, like a Drew Holiday type. And like you mentioned, he just gets better and better every single year. And I'm done thinking it's like, oh, well, this is it. You know, yeah. last year it's like, oh, well, this is about as good as it gets. Just with Shea, his work ethic and rapid improvement, just I am going to not put a ceiling on him. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in the world, but I'm done thinking I know exactly who Shea is going to be. Uh, I don't know how the process has been for you over the years covering him, but his improvement has just been incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. I know I've told this story a lot, but I, I covered him in his uh, freshman year at Kentucky, and he was the sixth or seventh ranked guy in his own Kentucky class. Um, he was behind guys like P.J. Washington, Kevin Knox, Hamadou Diallo. Quad A. Um, Green. Quad A. Green. Oh, boy. Um and you know it was like man if this guy's if this guy's offense ever comes around if he could ever score it he's such a good defender that flips in the nba and then last year we see like oh wow this is i mean his offense was already elite and then he played defense at uh kind of close to an all defense level and that was the most stunning part to me it's just his two way game last season and just being kind of a dominant force on both ends of the floor. Um, and with his length and just his, you know, poise on offense and intensity, if he, if he keeps that up on defense, that's been the thing that has just taken me aback is just what he did on the defensive end last year. Cause we knew how special he was offensively, but he reached a, a new level on the defensive end. Also some of the best facial expressions in the NBA. Yeah. Um, just, Go look at photos of in-game photos of Shea and like his eyes are are wide. Um, he'll he'll have this like look of astonishment on his face or like if he's driving against a, a guy, his his face will be all like wavy and all over the place. It's like, what's going on here? Um, which is funny because off the court, he carries himself like the coolest person in the world on the court. Can't you can't pose for those photos? They just happen, so uh, we can't all be perfect, Shay. Yeah, in the press room, he'll go up there and sit down, and it looks like me in high school when I would come in for my first hour of class, just sitting there, like I'm trying not to just like fall asleep here. But Shay, Shay has been great. <laughs> looks like my my grandfather trying to take a seat. I don't know about high high school. I, I, I was I was pretty spry in high school, but Shay sits down like you know his his bones are old yeah i was more so just talking about once you sit down it's like i i need to focus on this class and not just like have my eyes wander or fall asleep here but yeah, no, shay, yeah. shay has been awesome what in general do you think has been the most impressive part of this fiba run i know that you mentioned defense for last year's regular season but just in terms of international play what stood out to you well i think I think meeting expectations, like even last year, I, I he was so good, but there were there were expectations on him, but there were no expectations on the Thunder. I mean, they they blew those out of the water. They more so than any other team in the NBA surpassed their preseason over under win total. 
Um, so it was all gravy. It was different for Canada coming into this tournament because, you know, Canada basketball has just never clicked, even when they had talent. Um, but with this team, even without J- Jamal Murray, people were looking at it like, hey, this is like a legit gold medal contender. Um, and if if they do medal, it's going to be because of Shea. So I think there was a lot of pressure on him representing his home country in this tournament. And like he he totally handled the weight of that um, and was as good as anyone um, could have hoped for. Uh, now, could the pieces around him have fit a little better? Sure. Um, but overall, you know, this was a big step for Canadian basketball. And I think a big step for Shea as kind of being in this new role of like being the guy on a team that is expected to win. We haven't really seen him. Um, in that role before in the NBA from his rookie season with the Clippers to even the the Thunder playoff year in his second season, you know, Chris Paul was the guy last year. Shea was the guy, but the Thunder wasn't expected to win. That might change a little this season, but we saw how he handled that uh, with our friends from up north and and he acquitted himself well. Yeah, it's one thing um, to be the best player and be number one in the scouting report during the regular season, but during the playoffs or during something like this with a tournament where they can just really lock in on you personally and you still go out there yeah. and thrive like he did against Team USA, which we'll get into a second, I think is extremely impressive. Yeah, and every game matters. Like Everyone plays hard in, in FIBA. I mean, because... Um, once you get past the the not the uh, group play, it's win or go home. So, I mean, it's, it's sudden death out there. So, um, that yeah, that was that was mighty impressive. I was also impressed just with him getting to the free throw line. Also in FIBA, we know that the the rules are a bit different. He averaged almost eleven free throws attempted per game last year in the NBA, and he got to nine in FIBA play, where there's a lot more physicality, and there's always talk about the referees are going to treat the game differently. But this to me should tell a lot of people it's not like a gimmicky thing that like he just he leads league and drives he's going to get fouled a lot of times yeah the the game is also shorter but i'm i'm looking yeah he played fewer minutes so last year with the thunder 35 and a half minutes per game uh to get to those almost 11 free throw attempts um and he was under that uh computer is moving slowly here he was at uh, 32.1 minutes per game in FIBA. So it's probably more free throws per 36, but yeah, that's the game is called very differently. Um, but he's smart enough to figure it out, see wh- which calls he can get. And people uh, who watch a lot of FIBA basketball say that the refs are less prone to making superstar calls. Um, and Shea is going to get and has gotten superstar calls in the NBA. So I think he's regularly going to be atop the list of of most free throws attempted. Well, let's talk about Team USA versus Canada. That was the the big game. I don't know if you stayed up till the uh, the wee hours of the night to watch that, or were like me and watched it as a replay the next morning. But very fun game, up and down, very exciting. Came down to the wire and then goes into overtime. What do you think of the game? Yeah, I uh, I have to be honest. I, I only caught bits and pieces of it. Uh, I, I, I saw, you know, all, all the Shea highlights. I, I saw, you know, M- Mikel Bridges uh, getting sent to the floor. He was put in a bad, a bad spot there. But um, 
yeah, I mean that was that that was really exciting. Now, obviously, you'd rather see it in the gold medal game than the than the bronze medal game, um, but super close game, super competitive, um, and the Canadians came out on top. Yeah, it was very impressive. I I uh, mentioned a lot of the quotes on the solo pod, but Steve Kerr saying we basically tried everything and it didn't work was. Uh, very funny. I still remember going back to last year whenever I asked Shay a question about this, about matching up with, ironically, it was Brooklyn and their length with Mikhail Bridges. And, you know, does that give you extra problems? And he goes, I feel like I have an answer for everything that anyone can throw out at me. And that was once again, um, more of a testament to uh, Shay proven right that it um, looks like he does have an answer for almost every defense you can throw at him. As far as one-on-one defenders go, Mikel Bridges has to be close to the top of the list of guys you would put on Shea, right? Yeah, I think you'd want someone a little bit more physical, maybe, because I know that Brooks plays them really well. Yeah, Herb um, Jones. Herb Jones does, too. You could find I'd, I'd probably pick Herb Jones. <laughs> yeah, his, his cousin, if it's a play-in game. Maybe it's Lou Dort. We don't even know. That's that's why they have to keep him as they just they yeah. see it in practice and they go, we cannot let this be unleashed somewhere else. Yeah, it kind of sucks that they're also from the same country because we can't even see an international play. So um but but guys with length, I think would probably give him the most trouble. Aaron Gordon has I was been really that, good yeah. on him. Uh just someone who can be physical, throw a lot of size at him, but I mean, you're right. He, he's got an answer for just about every matchup. The um, the solution here is Thunder fans need to vote for Lou Dort to be an all-star starter so we can see Shea versus Dort in the all-star game. If Lou Dort, well, you said all-star starter, so it really doesn't matter how well you play. Uh, I was about to say, the Thunder's going to be in good shape if Lou Dort's starting the all-star game. Um, but then again, uh, all-star voting is... Not always the best barometer of what you do on the basketball floor. You telling me that you didn't believe that Detroit Allen Iverson was worthy of an all-star starter <laughs> status that year? Or Zaza yeah. Pachulia almost? Or that like Alex Caruso is always in the top 10 of voting and Andrew Wiggins starts an all-star game? Yeah, uh, Lou Dort needs to put out that he just loves K-pop and anime all the time. Just like, I was very inspired by, I was watching One Piece the other day and... uh <laughs> Help me in this performance. It might be enough. Maybe. But we go from one uh, Thunder International showcase to another one. I mentioned this um, to you in the rundown here about kind of comparing Shea's uh, breakout to Kevin Durant's breakout run in 2010. Um, Katie at the time was only 21 years old. He was coming off his third NBA season. Durant broke out in the World Cup for Team USA in 2010. Team USA went a perfect 9-0 and won gold. Katie still holds the USA World Cup single game scoring record of 38 points. Joe, there have only been nine 30 point games by a Team USA player in World Cup history. Katie had two of them in this run. Wow. Um, nine in US World Cup history? Yes. Okay. So Anthony Edwards has uh, made that list more than once, right? This, this season, this, this World Cup. Um,. That is not what the FIBA website told me, but I believe you. Oh, didn't he have over 30? I, I, I don't know if up? FIBA is different Maybe from the World Cup. Maybe it didn't update for, for, for this one. It That's probably okay. didn't. Anyway, 
Michael, not not to not to derail us. It's awfully impressive, and it's uh, you know, it's it. I I think I I think I heard this on a broadcast that uh, Durant is the U.S.'s all-time leading scorer. Uh, I think he passed Mello. So, you know, obviously that was you know cool for Thunder fans to to have Durant you know represent the U.S. for all those years. It's a little different when your best player is Canadian, uh, and not specifically Canadian, but just from another country. But but still, it's like it seems like Thunder fans were more excited to watch Canada and cheer on Canada than they were the U.S., which was you know kind kind of cool to see. Yeah, it was very different. I, I felt very un-American at times where I was watching Team Canada against Team USA, and I'm like, God, I hope Shea makes a shot and Mikhail Bridges misses. <laughs> and I'm like, like I said to Ryan on one of those pods, it's like, we're going to be just reported for treason or something at this point. But Yeah, all flying the maple leaf flag. Yeah, Katie in that tournament averaged 23 points per game, um, and he was just incredible. The next season, he um, averaged 28-7-3 on 46-35-88 splits. He made his second All-Star team and ended up leading the Thunder to a conference finals where they eventually lost to the NBA champs and the Mavericks and Dirk Nowinski. But just talking about, obviously, Katie at that point, 21, four years younger than Shea, but I wanted to bring this up just as a topic of how can Shea, like KD, sort of continue on this path and keep up the speed momentum from playing well in um, World Cup play in FIBA? Well, there's two ways to look at it. You know, some teams or some guys don't want to play these competitive games over the summer because the NBA season is so long, specifically the guys that, you know, just played in the the playoffs, like Jokic and Jamal Murray, for example. Um, But other guys, I mean, you know, obviously the Thunder's not in the playoffs and other guys talk about like playing competitive games like this is the best way for them to kind of continually improve and not have to start the next season, you know, taking a minor step back before they get back into the swing of things. So I, I think he could sort of, you know, use this world cup experience as kind of a jumping off point to coming right into the season and being at the top of his game. Um, you know, he, they're they're going to be playing basketball and working out anyway, so you might as well be, you know, putting yourself in a in a real life game and and situation that can translate. And you often hear guys tell stories about how much um, their summers with their national teams helped them, whether it was learning stuff from teammates or you know just being around other guys, other coaches. That's a big part of it as well. Um, and you know your your game can sort of get honed in different areas and we'll see if that happens with Shea yeah and not that Shea is short on confidence but this should be another thing to him that's like solidifies him as one of the guys in the league of just like I went toe-to-toe and beat Team USA along with Dylan Brooks almost by myself the Dylan Brooks game is very similar to the Lou Dort like game seven to me in a lot of ways where it's just like (laughs) These are some incredible shots. It's like, but the other team's like, we will live with these, but I can't believe you're making these. I can't wait to watch Dylan Brooks with the Rockets. Boy, he is he is going to get some shots up. Dylan Brooks is a character, not in a good way. Uh, but yeah, Shay, I think just more and more confidence going into this and just more people, like I mentioned on the solo pod, giving his flowers and recognizing him as one of the best players in the NBA. I think that 
it would be hard to argue that he's not at least at the very minimum 15, 12, 10 best in the world. Yeah. Um, I might've mentioned this, but I'm working on a list top 30 players going into the season um, for a USA today project. And I don't know where he's going to be, but uh, I mean, he's got to be, you know, close to, to the top 10 or in it. I mean, some people might have him inside the top 10. Who who knows? Yeah, it should be interesting. And like you mentioned with the guys like Jokic and Murray not playing in like Olympic and like international basketball, it's usually the guys who are on the younger um, side who usually play in these World Cups. The Olympics is a whole different animal where the big boys come in like LeBron's talking about building some super squad to go play in Paris. But this is perfect for a guy like Shea, like we mentioned with Durant at 21. Sort of this is a lot of these guys get their breakout time in the Olympics before they become the stars that we kind of know them as today at the uh, NBA level. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it seems like some other countries value the the World Cup more so than the Olympics. It's the opposite here. The Olympics is, uh, I was going to say, gold standard. Um, so I'm, I, I might as well, no pun intended. Um, but isn't it like 12 teams, I think, that, that make the Olympics? And in, in, in the World Cup, there's 32 teams. So it's a, a much better competition. I, I mean, the World Cup is like you've you've got to beat more more teams. And um, yeah, I think Canada, someone mentioned this on a recent pod. I forgot who it was, but they were wanting like three-year commitments from their players. And I think that's why they've struggled in the past relative to their talent is that they've tried to replicate the U.S. system where it's just like, Send your best guys out there every year, every four years, whatever it is, and like you're probably going to win on talent alone. Um, but but this team seems to be, you know, intentionally put together. They want to have some sense of cohesion, and Shea's going to be the leader of that for you know a long time to come. Yeah, and R.J. Barrett's dad took over Team U.S. Uh, team Canada and some of their roster building and construction. So that helped that you get a guy like RJ Barrett, who's one of the highest ranked players in the nation coming up, or I guess highest ranked players in the world since he's from Canada. But uh, yeah, in the world, in the whole world, counting two nations <laughs> from Canada, to the U S the whole world. It's like, we're getting into the no Lyles thing again, but yeah, I think that that's helped get guys more uh, commitment to things. I think the world cup, uh, it is more competitive because you have a lot more teams, but I think that a lot of these teams send more guys there because they have an actual realistic chance of winning. Whereas with the Olympics, where everyone brings in um, Jokic and Giannis and all these guys, it's probably just not going to be as high of a likelihood that you can come out with a win. But it's been very interesting to see all this this team building, like you mentioned, Canada with a three year uh, sort of like buy in, and you see all these other international teams. And what stood out to me the most is just how many teams have like actual role players where they know exactly what they're supposed to do. Whereas it's just top end talent for team Canada and team USA. And it's like, we'll figure that we'll just, um, we'll shoehorn this guy in, you know what we can make Jalen Brunson, a three and D player. We can do that. But I yeah. just thought that was interesting. And it doesn't always work. Like team USA, Brandon Ingram, he was made into a role player and he was terrible at it. And didn't love it and just it didn't fit um you know there there are some players that didn't play all that much who are role players on their specific teams like 
a Josh Hart or a Bobby Portis, for example, those guys kind of embrace that because they know what it is. But, you know, if you've got, you know, Brandon Ingram is like the third or fourth option out there. It's, it's totally different for, for him. You've got, you know, Jalen Brunson on the floor with a lot more talent. He's not always going to be the guy out there. Jaron Jackson Jr. Quite frankly, looked lost with what they asked him to do. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's like team building for these international competitions. I don't want to say it's tough for the U S because they're at the biggest advantage because they have the, the most talented pool to select from, but it's like, do you just go all talent or do you try to like fit a team together? It's a, it's a tough dynamic. And also like, like the Serbian team, even without Jokic and like the Germans, like they've been playing together for quite a long time. And, you know, it's basically a new American squad every time out. Yeah. They're almost in a no win situation because you put out all the talent and then you lose but I can only imagine the hell storm if they went out there and let's just say they did build like a proper roster in terms of like fit and role players. And they added like Alex Crusoe, Kenrich Williams, Kenrich Williams. Yeah. And they Aaron, lost Aaron Wiggins. It's like, why, why are these guys? Yeah. On the can you team? imagine if they lost with those guys <laughs> and then they're talking about it? Like you would have to win and not to not to downgrade on those guys because they play roles and they're very good at what they do. Or if you have Isaiah Joe and it's like, why didn't you just get Trey Young? Why didn't you just get yeah. this guy? But basketball is more than just a bunch of one-on-one stuff, but it's been very interesting to watch the the world play against the U.S., but I know a lot of people are upset about Team USA losing, but the fact is the world was always going to catch up, but that might be a topic for another day. Yeah, the world's caught up on stars. Um, not Not depth of stars, but... Um... I'm excited to see if, you know, J-Dub and Chad already kind of took a step within the national team program being on that select team and being invited to camp. So it'd be really, really cool if four years from now we're talking about, you know, Shea and the Canadians playing against J-Dub, Chet and the Americans and Josh Giddy and the Australians. Like it could be really fun times around here. Should be. Yeah, it's got to be interesting. And I want to ask those guys about it at some point. But Chet, you know, he's been on the U.S. circuit like his whole life, whereas J-Dub is a late bloomer. This was definitely something new for him. I know his younger brother has been involved, but that's got to be a very cool thing for him to have happen. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, some of these guys are on the U18 team, U19 team and kind of know what it's like. But then, you know, others are a little more unfamiliar with it. Well, thank you, Mr. Calmness, for coming on with me. Do you have anything to, to plug before we get out of here? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm actually working on a Thunder story for today. Just kind of like a fun little preview to to just uh, dip your toe into the Thunder waters. I know football season's in full swing, but, um, you know, the Thunders are going to start training camp uh, ne- next month. So I'm going to to do like a 23 things to look forward to in the 2023-24 season. So I'm going to work on that, have some fun with it. So check that out at Oklahoman.com. Should be fun. I'm looking forward to reading it. But thanks for coming on with me. Everyone, thank you for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a description. It really helps us out at ThunderBudPod on Twitter, and we'll be back again for more Thunder Talk on Tuesday. Just going to run this 
dogs to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.